I want to welcome you also, those of you that are visiting here with us. I'm glad you're here. And we're in a, a series here at Big Valley Grace where we're looking at the last seven words that Jesus spoke when he was on the cross. Okay, he was dying, he's on the cross, and he says these last seven words, and, and obviously they're important words. If you were dying, and uh, you had your family around, your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, or whatever, and you knew you only had a few minutes to live, probably those would be some pretty weighty words, right? Well, these are very weighty words. And today we're gonna look at the second word from the cross, and, and that's the word assurance, okay? In Luke chapter 23, it says this in verse 33. Then they came to a place called the skull. The soldiers crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. This is the fir first word from the cross, the word forgiveness, and we looked at that last week. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, God's chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if he, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened to the cross above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God, even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man, Jesus, hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. And this is the second word from the cross, the word assurance. And beloved, I want you to know that this might be one of the most important sections in all of the Word of God. And the reason why it's so important is because this little section right here that we just read tells you everything you need to know about salvation. This little section of the Word of God tells you how you can escape the wrath of God, how you can keep yourself out of hell, how you can make sure that you will spend your eternity with the Lord forever in heaven. This is a, a weighty section of scripture and I want us to get right into it. In the story I just read, you have these two evil men, okay? They're both criminals. And they're hanging on the crosses next to Jesus. One of these men has no clue who Jesus is, so he begins to mock Jesus. He demeans him, he, he puts him down, he insults him. The Greek word there is he blasphemes Jesus. The other guy had a totally different attitude. He wasn't a theologian or anything like that, he didn't know anything about the Bible, but his attitude was way different than the first guy. In fact, his attitude was so different than, than the first guy that Jesus told him that when he died, he was gonna spend his eternity in heaven forever with him. Jesus basically tells this guy, you're going to be saved from hell. 
What did this guy know that the first guy didn't? What was, a, what was it about this guy's response that saved him? What was it about his response that it made it possible for him to go to heaven when he died? Well, I'm gonna share with you four things. Four things that this man knew that saved him. Four things that this man knew that opened up the doors of heaven to him. Four things that kept him out of hell. And these are the four things that you need to know. The same four things if you want to go to heaven. If you want to spend your eternity with the Lord forever. Number one, the first thing this guy knew was he knew that he'd face God after he died. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna extrapolate from a few of this, few of the comments that this guy made. In verse 40, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? So here we got this first criminal insulting Jesus and the second guy kind of rebukes him. Don't you fear God even though you're dying? In other words, don't you realize the seriousness of this situation? In a few moments, you're gonna be dead. And at that moment, the moment you draw your last breath, you're gonna be face to face with God. And here's the reality, is that all of us are going to die. Every single one of us, whether you're in this room, you're over in the venue, you're listening on the radio, whatever. The wisest man that ever lived said this in Ecclesiastes chapter seven. He said, death is the destiny of every man. It's the destiny of every person. The living should take this to heart. <laughs> That's pretty good wisdom, isn't it? And this is exactly what I want us to do. I want us to take this question to heart because I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of a prophet, but I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that every single one of you is probably gonna die. Every one of you. And because you're all going to die, shouldn't we take the wisdom of Solomon and while we're alive kind of work that kind of thought through? Shouldn't we at least think about what might happen to us when we finally do take our last breath on planet Earth? All of us are gonna die, all of us. It might be because of cancer, it might be because of a heart attack, some disease, a violent crime, a freak accident, maybe just good old fashioned old age. I, I don't know, you know what it will be. But every one of us in this room is going to experience death. It doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank, doesn't matter what color your skin is, doesn't matter what your gender is, doesn't matter what kind of education you, you've got, doesn't matter what country you live in, death is the great equalizer in life. It gets everybody. It's inevitable. Nobody cheats it, nobody escapes it. So, so it makes total sense to think through and look at the question, what happens after you die? Now it's not a fun topic necessarily. I can think of a whole lot of other things I'd rather talk about. But it is a weighty question that 
hopefully you've wrestled around with. I was with a, a guy the, last week, and we were talking about death. And I said, what do you think happens when you die? And he said, well, I don't really know. You know I, I saw this guy in Oprah once, and he talked about reincarnation. <laughs> you, you saw a guy on Oprah once? <laughs> Please tell me you put more thought into it than some guy on Oprah who told you, you know, if you die, you become a cow or an eagle or a beetle, depending on how you live, for crying out loud. I mean, I mean, a lot's riding on this. Can you tell me his name? No, but he was kind of a cool speaker. Unbelievable. You see, I think Solomon's right. I, I, I think, you know, because death is the destiny of all of us. We, we gotta think it through. You ought to think it through. So what happens after you die? Well, there's a lot of things that are taught out there. Some people teach that when you die, there's nothing left, right? You simply put in a pine box and I don't know, the worms eat you and that's it. A lot of people believe that. Some of you probably believe that. Some people teach that when you die, you come back as something else, right? Like the, the guy on Oprah. You're reincarnated. Some people teach that when you die, you become a little god and you live on some distant planet. <laughs> some people teach that when you die, you go to a place where you're cleaned up and made holy so you can eventually end up in heaven. They call it purgatory. Some people teach that when you die, you go into a dreamlike state and for all of eternity, I don't know, you, you dream happy dreams, <laughs> happy thoughts. I, I don't know, I, I don't know. Some people teach that when you die, you've, somehow you're gonna stand before God and he has these cosmic scales and all the bad things you've ever done in your life are put on one side and then all the good things you've ever done are put on the other side and oh, ah, down elevator. Woo, yeah, I made it. What a crummy way to live. Wondering, you know, there you are before God. Oh no, okay, good things, good things. Hey, don't forget about, you know, in, in, in 62 that, you know. <laughs> a lot of people live like that. Some people teach that when you die, everybody just goes to hell. Big teaching today is some people believe and teach that when you die, everybody just gets to go to heaven. But what does the Bible teach? Well, the Bible has a lot to say on the subject, but, but I'm only gonna share with you one little thought, and this thought is from Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 25. He says, but when the Son of Man comes, that's him, when Jesus comes in his glory, all the angels will be with him. Then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations, that's just people, will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, come, you are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Verse 41 says, then the king will turn to those on his left, the, the goats, and say to them, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and the demons. 
And verse 46 says, and then they, the, the goats, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous, the sheep, will go into eternal life. That's a weighty little piece of scripture. And if you don't like it, it, we can still be friends, can't we? Because those aren't my words. Those are the words of Jesus. And so we can still hang out and we can get coffee and we can talk about all kinds of stuff and you can wrestle around with what Jesus said. Beloved, the Bible clearly teaches, Jesus clearly taught that when you die, one of two things happens. You'll either suffer separation from God in hell, and let me tell you what that is. Some people say, well, hell's a hot place. Hell's a, a totally dark place. Hell is full of flames. Well, I don't know how a place can be totally dark and have flames there at the same time. <laughs> listen to me, listen to me. The people who wrote this were trying to describe something that's indescribable. Let me tell you what, 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 what the crummy thing about hell is. Jesus isn't there. That's what makes hell such a crummy place. And the Bible says that God is love. And because God is not there, love is not there. Is it a hot place? Maybe. Is it a dark place? Maybe. Is it full of flames? Maybe. I don't know. I just know that it is so crummy. What makes it such a crummy place is Jesus isn't there. And the Bible clearly teaches that when you take your last breath here on earth, it's going to be in one or two places. It's either going to be in a place, as I said, where you, know, you suffer separation from God in hell or you enjoy celebration with God in heaven. It's one of those two. Heaven and hell are real places, absolutely real, and they're both eternal places. In other words, you and I will spend forever in one of them. Jesus believed in both of them, and Jesus clearly taught about both of them. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, everyone must die once, and after that be judged by God. Listen, you can ignore God for the rest of your life down here on planet Earth. <laughs> but there will come a moment when you will take your last breath here on planet Earth and you won't be, be able to ignore him anymore. You can run from God all you want down here on planet Earth, but there will come a moment when you will stop running and you will be face to face with God. This criminal knew that. He knew there was coming a moment, and for him it was going to be, I don't know, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, a couple hours. He knew he was going to be face-to-face -face with God. He knew that. Listen, death is the one appointment that you'll all keep. You don't have to put that one in your, 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 your Franklin, you know, day timer. You don't have to put it in your smartphone. You don't have to put it on your calendar. You will keep that appointment. We all will. And only a fool would go through life unprepared for something that we know is inevitable. I mean, really, I mean, it's coming. 
I mean, this, this week we saw that a guy woke up one day and thought he was going to go change a, a lock on a door. Thought he was going to go home and have dinner, hang out with his family. Look, it might happen today, might happen tomorrow, might happen next week, next month, next decade. I, I don't know when. I hope you all get to live long and happy, prosperous lives. I really do. But I don't know. And here's the weird thing, either to you. And Solomon says, listen, while you're alive, your heart's beating, why don't you give that some thought? about what happens when you die. You don't have to agree with me. You don't have to agree with the word of God, but please tell me you'll give it more thought than, you know, well, I saw a dude on Oprah once. You, you, you ought to at least know what it is you believe and know where you're getting that information from and what it's based on. A lot's riding on it. This second guy, he knew he was going to face God, and the same thing is true for, for you. One day you're going to be face to face with God, and you ought to be prepared for it. Number two, the second thing this guy knew was this. He knew that he had sinned against God. He says, don't you fear God, you know, even when you've been sentenced to die? And then he says, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this guy knew he deserved to be hanging on a cross. He knew about all the crummy things he had done in his life. He knew about all the things that were wrong. He knew about all the you know, people he had robbed, all the crummy things. He knew he was sinful. And what I love about this guy is, is his honesty. He's not trying to hide his sin. He's not trying to deny his sin. He's not making a, an excuse for his sin. He simply confesses that he's a criminal. I'm a sinner. I deserve to die. And the truth is, just like we're all going to die, we're all sinful. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Nobody. Nobody. There isn't anybody here who can stand up and say, well, I've never had a crummy thought. I've never had a crummy deed. I've never done something crummy. There, there isn't anybody The prophet Isaiah said this, he said, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We, we've left God's path. And we're, we're doing our own thing. We're, we're, we're following our own. Proverbs chapter 20 says, who can say I've kept my heart pure? <laughs> I'm clean and without sin. No one. We've all blown it. We've all said things that we knew were wrong and hurtful. We've all done things that we know were wrong and hurtful. We've all thought things that we just went, dude, where'd that thought come from, man? That was just like evil. <laughs> We've all disobeyed God. Now, we may not be as bad as the two criminals hanging on the cross. I understand that. But the bottom line is, we're all going to die, we're all going to face God, and we're all sinful. All of us. This guy got it. And the beautiful thing about this man was that he was just honest about his sin. 
The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. God says, listen, if you'll just be honest, if you'll just admit to the fact that you've blown it, that you're sinful, I'll forgive you. And one of the neat things that God did, I talked a lot about it last week, he loved you so much, he gave you this thing called a conscience. And that conscience that God gave you tells you all the times when you do good things. And it also tells you about all the times you do something bad. It reminds you that you're sinful. God gave that to you so that you would be very much aware of your sin. The second thing this guy knew was that he had sinned. He had done crummy things. And he's honest about it. He's taking this seriously. Number three, the third this thing this guy knew was this. He knew that Jesus was more than a man. First he says, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. And then he says, but, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. This is an interesting statement that this guy makes. This guy knew that Jesus was different. He didn't say, hey, we've done more bad stuff than this guy's done, didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, this guy's good works are much greater than his bad works. He didn't say that. He says, this guy has done nothing wrong. Somehow, I think he recognizes Jesus. I think there was a moment and they're putting him on a cross and imagine being beat up and they're putting nails in your hands and nails in your feet and you know you're gonna die. That, that, that's, that's pretty crummy. I think he was absorbed in his own life. He may have looked over, but the Bible says that Jesus had been beaten to a pulp and crown of thorns. His head was probably all puffy, you know, from being pulverized. Blood was everywhere. And I don't think he recognizes Jesus for a moment. But then there comes this, this moment. <sighs> Dude, I know that guy. I know him. And I don't know how he recognized who Jesus was. Maybe, maybe he saw Jesus do one of his miracles. Maybe he was there when Jesus turned the water into wine at that wedding at Canaan. Maybe he was one of the guys sitting around those big pots of water and Jesus came over and prayed and all of a sudden they were turned into wine and he saw that. Maybe he was there when Jesus fed the 15,000. Maybe he saw that young boy bring a little sack lunch of a couple fish and some loaves up to Jesus and he did this prayer thing and handed out food and everybody got fed and there was still some left over. Maybe Maybe he was there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave. Maybe he was in the crowd and Jesus said, come forth, Lazarus. And all of a sudden he came forth, you know, and him and his buddies are going, dude, unbelievable. Did you see that? Maybe he was there when Jesus opened the eyes of the blind man. Maybe he was in the house that day when those four guys ripped the ceiling open and lowered that man who was paralyzed. Maybe he was there when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk out of here. And the guy got up and walked out the door and he was going, dude, I know that guy. That's Billy. The guy's been paralyzed since he was born. 
He just healed that guy. Maybe he sat around and talked with his buddies about Jesus and all the miracles he did. Maybe he heard one of Jesus' sermons. The Bible says this about Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. When Jesus finished saying these things, when he got done teaching, the people were amazed at his teaching because he did not teach like their teachers of the law. He taught like a person who had authority. Matthew goes on to say in chapter 13, he went to his hometown. Jesus went to his hometown and he taught the people in the synagogues and they were amazed. They said, where did this man get his wisdom and his power to do miracles? John chapter three, we meet a man named Nicodemus. He was a, a Pharisee and an important Jewish leader, it says. One night, Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, teacher, we know that you're a teacher sent from God because no one can do the miracles you do unless God is with them. And maybe he sat there in, in, a, in a synagogue somewhere and went, dude, man, this guy's different. This guy talks like nobody else talks, man. All this to say, a lot of people knew who Jesus was, and maybe that's how this man knew that there was something different about Jesus. And by the way, there was something different about Jesus. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we've all gathered together and singing songs to him, taking an offering to him, listening to his word being preached. Are you kidding me? There was something different about Jesus. Whether you believe in him or not, I can guarantee you, 2,000 years from now, no one's gonna gather in a room and worship you. All be forgotten. And people will still be worshiping Jesus because there's something different about him. He was different because he was the son of God. He was different because he had never done anything wrong, never. And when this criminal said, but this man hasn't done anything wrong, he was absolutely correct. He knew he was dying and he knew he was gonna face God when it was all over with. He knew he was a sinner, he knew he was a criminal, and he knew Jesus was different. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter five, for God made Christ, that's Jesus, who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Here's what, here's what happened on the cross. Listen, it's the greatest exchange um, uh, policy ever. God says that I'm gonna take all the junk in Rick Countryman's life, my life, all my pettiness, all my ego, all my anger, all my jealousy, all my laziness, all my crummy thoughts, all my crummy deeds, all my crummy words, all the times I didn't love the way God wanted me to love, all the times I didn't show compassion the way God wanted me to show compassion, all the times I didn't treat others the way I would want to be treated. All the times that I did not love the Lord with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of the times that I didn't love others as myself. It's going to take all my sin. God says, I'm going to take it all and I'm going to put it on to my son, Jesus Christ, and he's going to take 
the penalty for all of your sins, Rick. And as great as that is, it gets even better. Because God says this, not only am I gonna take all of your sin, all of your junk, Rick, and put it onto my son, but I'm gonna take my son's perfection and put his perfection onto you. I'm gonna take his holiness and his righteousness and put it onto you. So God takes all my junk and crummy stuff and puts it onto Christ, and then he takes all the wonderful stuff of Christ and puts it onto me. Now that's the greatest exchange policy ever. It's one of the reasons why we gather in here and sing all these songs about God and take offerings and hoop and holler and care about Jesus and, and, and put stickers on our cars and talk about the Lord. That's why we do what we do. It's why we're telling all of our children about Jesus right now. It's why we tell our youth about children. Who wants to come in here and talk about you or me? Who cares about us? I wanna talk about the God who takes all of our sin and puts it onto Jesus and then takes all the great stuff of Jesus and puts that onto us. And let me tell you why that's important. It's important because heaven's a perfect place. I want you to follow me. Heaven's an absolute perfect place, perfect. So if God were to let me go to heaven in my condition, as soon as I got there, heaven ain't perfect anymore because I'm one messed up, screwed up guy. I'm anything but perfect. So as soon as I got there, heaven is a, a mess. And then he let you up there, and then you, and then you, and then you, and then you, and you. And as soon as we all got up there, it'd take about a good two minutes, and heaven and then would be much like it is right here on planet Earth. Screwed up, messed up, right? And so that's why it's important that God take all my sin and junk and put them onto Jesus, and why it's important that I get the perfection of Jesus. I get the holiness of Jesus. I get the righteousness of Jesus, because once I got that, whew, I'm good to go to heaven. See, I can't get there on my own. There's not enough good things I could possibly do to make myself good enough to get to heaven. But as soon as I allow Christ into my life, wow. Now the father looks down, doesn't see my junk, doesn't see my sin. He sees his son and goes, wow, come on up. You're welcome in my perfect heaven. I want you to know that this is basically called grace. And it's the only way we'll ever get to heaven. Because as I said, you, 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 can't, you can't give enough money to make yourself right before God. You can't go on enough mission trips to make yourself right before God. You can't do enough good deeds to make yourself right before God. The only way I can be made right before God is through this thing called grace. Which brings us to number four. The fourth thing this guy knew was he knew that only grace could save him. Remember, I'm extrapolating a little bit of information here from what he said. He said, hey, you're gonna die and face God someday. He knew that. He knew his life was a mess. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he deserved to die. He knew that there was something different about Jesus. 
And then he says, Jesus, remember me. What's going on here? What's this guy doing here? He knows he can't do anything to save himself. He's hanging on a cross with no hope. He's hanging on a cross with no control over his life. He knows he can't make up for all the wrong things he's done. He knows he can't come down off the cross and atone for his sins. He knows he can't do a bunch of charity work to make up for the things that he's done. He's gonna die in a few minutes. He knows everybody has rejected him. He knows he's made a mess of his life. He knows he's wasted his life. He doesn't try to compare himself with someone else. Hey, Jesus, I'm not as bad as that dude next to you, you know. He doesn't try to make up some excuse as to why his life was so messed up. He doesn't blame his parents. He doesn't blame the environment. He doesn't try to bargain with God. This man simply says two words. Remember me. Remember me. He's got nothing else. He's just hoping for the grace of God. I got nothing. I can't give any money in the church. I can't do love Modesto. I can't can't go on a missions trip. I can't do anything. I can't be an usher. I can't sing in the choir. I, I can't, I got nothing. Remember me. That's got to be the shortest salvation prayer ever. Remember me. He doesn't say, I confess. He doesn't say, I believe. He doesn't say, I repent. He doesn't say, I trust. He doesn't say, I receive. He simply says, remember me. And Jesus says to him, today. You're going to be with me in paradise. Not that there's anything wrong with those words, I confess, or I believe, or I repent, or I trust, or I receive. Nothing wrong with those words. But he doesn't say any of those words. He just says, remember me. My point is, you know what? It's not necessarily about the words we use. Because God sees this. He knew exactly what that guy meant. And Jesus says, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 16, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Somehow, this guy just saying, Jesus, remember me, Jesus looked in his heart and knew that this guy believed who Jesus was. He got it. He knew he was going to face God. He knew he was screwed up. And he knew that Jesus was different. He knew And this was his way of just saying, I believe. So how do you know for sure that you're saved? How do you know for sure that you're going to go to heaven when you die? What's your assurance? How can you be certain? How can you eliminate all the doubt that's in your mind? Well, look at verse 43. Jesus responded to this man by saying, I assure you. I assure you. I assure you. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Beloved, your assurance is based on God's promise that if you trust him, if you believe in him, he's gonna take you to heaven. Your salvation isn't based upon working hard for God's approval. Your salvation isn't based upon how you feel. 
because your feelings come and go. Your salvation is simply based on the promise of God. Jesus said, I assure you. That's pretty good, isn't it? Now, there are four really neat thoughts as it relates to heaven here in this verse. Number one, salvation is instantaneous. Jesus said, today, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. The moment you ask Jesus Christ to save you, it's a done deal. He doesn't wait around. He doesn't say, hey, listen, man, I, I need to pull your file, man. I need to look at all the crummy things you've done in your life. You know, you got a big list of them. Your rap sheet's pretty long. Let me give this some thought. Let me just see whether I want to cover you with my, with my grace. It's a done deal. Jesus doesn't say, you know what? You need to go to a, a holding place where people can pray for you and, and light a candle for you and maybe clean you up a little bit before I let you in my, my kingdom. If there was ever a guy that should have gone to a place like purgatory where you're cleaned up, it's this guy. Talk about a loser. But Jesus doesn't say that, does he? He simply says, today, it's instantaneous. Salvation is. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, yes, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we'll be at home with the Lord. When I leave this, this thing here is just an earth suit. It connects me to the physical. And as soon as I take my last breath, this thing will fall to the ground. It'll be in a pine box. I'll put it in the grave. But I, me, my soul, my spirit will go to be with the Lord. Immediate. Just like Jesus said, today. Number two, salvation is, absolute, is an absolute certainty. Jesus said, today you will. You will, not you might. If Jesus said, you might, now we got a problem, don't we? But then if he said, you might, then he would never use the word, I assure you. I assure you, you might. Really? How does that work? He said, I assure you, so it's a done deal. You will. You will. It's a certainty. And when God says, look, you will, bank on it. You will. Number three, salvation is all about a relationship. Today you will be with me. Salvation is all about a relationship. It's not about a religion. Salvation isn't about a bunch of rules and regulations. Salvation isn't about, you know, a, a list of do's and don'ts. Salvation isn't about rituals. Salvation is about a, a relationship, a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I've, I've done a lot of funerals and I've been at a lot of funerals and, and oftentimes, probably 99% of the time, someone dies, you know. There's this thought that when you die, you know, when I die, I get to see my Aunt Judy again, you know. Or I get to see my Uncle Pete again or I get to see my spouse, or I get to see one of my children, you know, and, and on some plane, that, that's true. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When you take your last breath, 
And there you are, standing there with Jesus. You're not going to say, excuse me, Jesus, i got to go find my Uncle Joe. Uncle Joe! Yeah, I'll get to you in a minute, Jesus. Hey, Pete, where are you, Pete? (laughs) Now, I know in our humanity that matters, you know. I get to see my Uncle Joe or my spouse or my kids or whatever it is. I get it. Or my parents. I understand that. And you know what? That's going to happen. But trust me on this one. When you get there and you're now in the presence of Christ, (laughs) I don't know. I'll go out on a limb. I think that'll be enough. (laughs) Don't you think that that's probably going to take care of stuff? But I, I understand. I have some people in heaven that I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing someday. And it's going to be fantastic. But salvation isn't about seeing our Uncle Joe went on before us. Salvation is about a relationship. And that relationship, by the way, can start right now. You see, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, when I said, Jesus, remember me, the relationship started right then and there. I, I talk with the Lord all the time, multiple times throughout the day. Most of the time it's through his word, but I spend my morning prayers, my, my afternoon prayers, my evening prayers. I talk with the Lord all the time. I have a great relationship with him now. Obviously, it'll be way different when I finally get to heaven. I'll be in his presence, and I won't have this sinful body I've got to deal with and all that kind of stuff. And number four, salvation is a real place. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise is a real place. And I'm not going to go into the theological implications between paradise and heaven, and there are. It wasn't important to Jesus when he was hanging on the cross, and right now I'm not going to go into it. But primarily, they're kind of the same place. It's a real place. It's a real, real place. Beloved, the second word from the the cross is the word assurance. I know that I'm saved. I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm going to be with the Lord someday when I take my last breath. Let me ask you, how about you? Have you ever settled the issue of what happens to you you when you die? Was there ever a moment in your life when you said, Jesus, would you remember me? When you wrestle around with the fact that someday you're going to die, you know you're a sinner. I, I don't need to tell you that. You may, not have, you may not call it sin, but you know you've done crummy things, okay? Have you ever recognized and come to that place where you go, you know what, I think Jesus really was the Son of God, the Savior, born in a little town called Bethlehem. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Today is the day of salvation. And maybe today is the day of salvation for some of you. The interesting thing is, is that Jesus didn't force either one of these two criminals to do anything. It was their choice. One criminal made the choice to just mock Jesus. And and that was me for a couple of decades of my life. I was the guy mocking the Lord, mocking the church, mocking God, mocking Christians. That was me. But there came a moment when I went, Jesus, remember me. And obviously my whole life was just radically changed. Every hour we've had people who've said, remember me? 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's what that criminal did. He just called on the name of the Lord. Remember me. Remember me. And the thing that motivates me and motivates those of us that know the Lord to live godly lives is we know about our sin. We know we're going to face God. We know that Jesus was different. We know what it took to save us. And so what motivates us to serve God and to live a God-honoring life is just knowing what Jesus did for us. Why don't you close your eyes? Over in the venue, why don't you just shut your eyes for just a moment? And maybe like last hour or Saturday night, maybe there's somebody in here and you're going, you know what? I'd really never thought about what happens to me when I die. But you're right, I'm going to face God. And I know I'm messed up. I know I have sin in my life. And today you recognize that Jesus is different. You recognize who he is. And maybe today is the day you would just say those two little words. Just say, Jesus, remember me. Remember me. I invite you into my life, Jesus. Cleanse me of my sin. I I, want to know for sure that when I die, I'm going to be with you forever. Right now, if you've never invited Christ into your life, just say those two words. Just in the quietness of your heart, just say, remember me. Remember me. Over in the venue, just say, remember me. Now, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are cold, let me ask. If you said those two words, you've never, never invited Christ into your life. And right now, today, you said, remember me. Raise your hand. Make sure sure I see it. Is there anybody in in this room? Yeah, 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 I got you, man. Make make sure I see you. Yeah, I saw saw a hand go up over there. Anybody else? Make, Make sure I make eye contact with you. Obviously, I can't see over in the venue. There were a couple of you. Look up here real quick. Man, it's a beautiful weekend. You know, the weather's great. Man, I went to Home Depot yesterday and it was like jammed up full of people. Everybody's getting their flowers and getting their yards fixed. And it's a beautiful day. And, and, and in just a moment, Scott's going to pray and we're going to leave and you can go have your lunches and hang out with family, whatever you're going to do. But though the preaching's done, I know God ain't done. He's not done in some of your lives. And you know that the Lord is doing something inside. And that's why we have a place called the altar room. And the spiritual leaders of our our church, our school, are are in there. And we just, we're we're there to to be a blessing to you. You know, one of the things that the Bible says the spiritual leaders are to do is to, to pray for people. And that's why they're there. And we have an altar room over in the venue. And, and, and maybe instead of getting out of here and getting to Home Depot and getting your flowers or going to eat and getting a burger or whatever, some of you just need to go into the altar room and say, hey, would you pray for me? My marriage isn't doing very well or my family's in turmoil or my teenager's gone sideways or my dad's gone sideways or 
whatever. And, and that's what they're there for, to, to, to pray. We've all been through all that stuff. Maybe you just need someone to listen to you for a second. Maybe you got a health concern and you're scared and you're nervous. Let us pray for you. But there were some of you that raised your hand and said, you know what, I, I asked Jesus into my life. I said, Jesus, remember me. And, and I don't want you just to run at her. I want you just to go into that room for a few minutes, grab the guy next to you, your spouse, friend, whoever, and say, hey, listen, I don't know what's going on in my life, but I've asked, I, I, I asked Jesus to remember me. I need to go in there. Maybe, maybe we'd be the first one to give you a Bible. We just want to talk to you for just a second. And I know it's scary, but I'm sure it was probably pretty scary when Jesus hung on that cross for us, but he did it. So give, him, give the Lord just a, a couple of minutes. Take advantage of the altar room. It's here for, for, for all of you, okay? Why don't you close your eyes, and Pastor Scott, why don't you close us in, in prayer, right?